Okay, so Matt, uh, the other day I was playing Scrabble with Michael, and I don't know how I did it, but I accidentally swallowed some of the tiles. So <laughs> the next trip to the bathroom could spell disaster. <laughs> oh man, that choked me up. <laughs> that was good. That's the best one you've had in a while. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right. Matt, how are you doing tonight, brother? I'm doing great. Good. Can you believe that it is already Black Friday? I know. Cause but as I said, it, it may be Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, am, I am not participating. That's true. <laughs> Actually, I, that's, that's not exactly true. Um, you know, we, we typically will... We we like to go to Walmart on Thanksgiving night. Yeah. Okay. We're not shopping. We just like to go in there and look at the chaos. Yeah. People you know? watch. <laughs> <laughs> See how many people we find that are standing in line to buy, you know, a a, a television for thirteen dollars mm-hmm. or something, you know. Some some craziness. Yeah, you you, know. n- you need to wrap up in SWAT gear though before you do that because yeah. just in case you get caught up in the madness. I know. I remember one year we needed coffee creamer. <laughs> we actually had to buy something we needed at Walmart uh, the night of Thanksgiving, and I was like, "This is this is going to be an adventure." Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I've done that before where I forgot that it was like black friday sales and everything and i ended up going to kroger or something like that to get something and even in kroger there was a ton of freaking people and i couldn't remember oh yeah black friday stuff and i was so mad at myself for having to go out (laughs) on black friday to get anything necessary you know like i worked at kroger yeah in college and the day before thanksgiving Oh, it was, it was like chaos. That the year that I worked there, we ran out of cranberry sauce. Oh, geez! At like three thirty, three thirty on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we're out of cranberry sauce. That's insane. Yeah. I I thought, I mean, people were losing their minds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could have gotten like, killed, Matt. Should have showed up yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> right, quit last minute shopping. So one thing everybody forgets. Yep. Well, I don't because I like that jellied cranberry sauce stuff. All right. So before we get into it, I wanted to tell everybody, go check out the Podbelly Network. Like we've said a couple times before, we are new members of the Podbelly Network, and we are excited to be part of this and proud to be part of it. Um, 
So if you're thinking about starting a podcast, there's a ton of free educational information that they have on the website, you know, from what microphones to use to the recording software and, you know, social media branding, uh, branding and publishing and all that kind of stuff. So it's good information to have that, you know, Matt and I didn't have when we were starting out. So we kind of had to figure all that out on our own. And this is a good resource for if you're thinking about starting a podcast and isn't everybody. I mean, everybody's thinking about starting a podcast now. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but there's also a ton of great podcasts on there to check out from all different genres and stuff that you might not, you know, normally find if you listen to stuff like Graveyard Tales, you might not find these other genres. Um, Hillbilly Horror Stories is on there. Just the Worst Podcast, Lost Boys of Hannibal, and the Sofa King Podcast are all on there, and they're all great podcasts to check out. So go over there, Podbelly Network. Um, it's podbelly.com. Check them out and tell them you heard about them from us. That that would help. Yeah. Um, so, Matt, real quick, before we get into the topic of tonight, what about that alien face in the antarctic ice (laughs) man you sent that to me today and i'm looking at it going this is really strange yeah i mean i'm i I didn't google map it because i was working i didn't have time but you know i i was like this is this is odd but it's kind of to me like you know the face and the moon and that kind of stuff sure sure absolutely Um, you know i you you want to see a face, maybe, mm-hmm. and so you see a face. But this face looks an awful lot like a face. I yeah, mean, yeah. Know, it's, it's not like, well, maybe that's a mouth. No, it looks like a face. Yeah, there's not much <laughs> of a stretch to find a face in this. Um, you know, and the first thing I thought of was alien gray. Obviously, is exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember where I saw the coordinates but i'll put the coordinates in our show notes and by the time you hear this it'll be about a week or so since i posted the picture on facebook and twitter of the find but if you're not on facebook or twitter first of all what are you doing get on our social media (laughs) go find us on social media follow us there Uh, you'll enjoy it if you like the show Uh, but secondly if you didn't see that then you'll be able to check out these coordinates if they like the where i saw it said if they haven't blurred it out yet like they do everything else i don't know that they're going to blur this out because it's not like somebody trying to say there's a alien base on the moon and they're blurring out photos of that this is just interesting ice formation Mm -hmm. um but it could have also changed by the time you're checking this out so anyway I'll, i'll put the coordinates on there go google map it uh, if it's anything like mine, it zooms in too close. So you've got to zoom out a little bit and rotate it because the chin is facing northwest-ish. So you have to rotate the picture to be able to see it. Um, but go check it out or go find us on social media and find those posts. Again, what are you doing if you're not in our Facebook group? And, and apparently there are people that just Google map places. Oh, just, yeah. Just look. Yeah. Look around. Whoa, I don't know how this. they have that time, but yeah, there are people. Just, I've done it, but you know, yeah. it's like I haven't found I wonder, anything. I, you know, I, I usually go to like landmarks. You know, yeah, and they're like, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know? Yeah, <laughs> go go look at Stonehenge or something like that. Yeah, but, Stonehenge, yeah. Eiffel Tower. 
that kind yeah, of stuff. I, I don't have time to sit there and go through the Antarctic and try to look for patterns in anything. Oh, yeah. I've never done anything like that. You know, pick a spot, zoom in, out, rotate. Okay, nothing there. Move over, zoom in, out, rotate, nothing there. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> it's fun to look at the street view and see yeah. the people looking at the Google car. Right. When it's right. driving by or pointing at it, you're they're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Oh, hey. <laughs> look at that guy. <laughs> yeah, I I wish they would tell you when they were coming by. I'd go stand out in the front yard in like my werewolf mask or something, just so I could say I was on Google Street View. If you if you look at my house, it uh, are you nude in the front yard? No, no, oh, good. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> um, it's got it's got the truck that's in my my driveway. I had like six years ago. Oh wow, so, yeah. It's kind of like they hadn't been to my neighborhood in a while. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep it's been a while since they've uh done our house too because i looked it up and there's a really old car in the front yard that ashley hasn't had in six years or something so it's about the same mm-hmm. they haven't been there in a while um all right matt we have rambled now for over five minutes um <laughs> and i'm sure there's people Sorry. who skipped past this but yeah they're like uh, shut up get to yeah. the show <laughs> if you're still listening here's what we're here's what you came to hear so matt tell us what are we talking about tonight brother okay tonight we're going to talk about a cryptid that i i bet a lot of you have not heard of but the cool thing about this cryptid is there's a really good chance that this is not a cryptid at all Right. That this is an actual undiscovered species in Indonesia on the island of Sumatra. One of my favorite things to talk about. I love this kind of crap. Yeah. So we're going to discuss the Orang Pendek. Yes. <laughs> this Adam, excites Adam me. Adam pitched this out to me and I was like, what the heck is this, man? You know, are we doing another one of these? Haven't we already done this? It's just called something different. He's like, no. He's no like, I you got to look, in, look into it. Look into it. I was like, okay. All right. So, so yeah. So, we're, we're going to talk about the Orang Pendek. Um, and, the, and the cool thing about this is that it's really only been spotted in this one area on the planet. Right. There's there's not like like Bigfoot. There's not stories from all over the world of everybody's own Bigfoot. You know, there's not just all these uh, sightings from around the world or even around the country. This is a very small area. Mm-hmm. I mean, so this this is like you you don't find the Loch Ness monster, you know, in you know uh, Lake Superior. You know, <laughs> right. it's only right here where you're going to see it or at least have a chance to see it. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of makes it cool. Right. And it's kind of like uh, the mountain gorillas when before they found the mountain gorillas, they were only in that one little area, you know. And so they they had stories about the mountain gorillas coming out and nobody believed them because really there's this giant monkey that lives up in this one little area of the mountains. No, yeah. that can't be. And then they found them. So this is kind of the same thing. And like Matt said, we could be, you know, with the the searches and the expeditions and everything that have happened, which we will talk about um, as we go. 
but we could be on the verge of discovering a new species or an old species that has been around longer than we have and we just haven't figured it out yet yeah which i mean matt can tell you if you guys don't already know cryptozoology is like one of my one of my loves you know um i have books sitting behind me uh cryptozoology encyclopedias i love it um so this is just fascinating to me we need to we need to look at the orang pendek a little bit and talk about physical description that that's what we need to initially start out with so like matt said the orang pendek is a quote unknown primate or small hominid of southeast asia um in melee it means short man and it's said to be the local name around and i'm going to mispronounce these bangkuku palembang and sumatra oh you did good i did all right that, that not, wasn't as bad as I'm, i thought not that i know how to pronounce them either <laughs> but that's how i would have said it yeah i mean that so. that's that's how it is to us so apologize if that's incorrect um but these things they kind of they have a range of height um where the north american bigfoot is always around a certain height you know seven feet and above seven to nine feet most of the stories well these have a, a quite a range in height they're from two foot six inches to about five foot six inches and they're covered in short reddish orange dark brown or black hair but the face of it is a lot less hairy so it's like a lot of ape species we see where they got hair all over them, but the face is pretty clear of hair. Right. Um, they do have jet black head hair, which extends in kind of like a mane that goes down its back. And there have been some recent reports that say the manes can be anywhere from yellow to tan. So there may be a different subspecies within there that has different hair or it's learned how to dye its hair. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> I got dark brown hair. I've had it blonde before, so you know it's possible. Uh yeah. Um, <laughs> it's got a it's got a kid and play fade going. Yeah, on. there you go. I like it. So they have pointed heads, and this is possibly from a sagittal crest. And if you don't know what a sagittal crest is, a lot of people don't. Um, but it is a ridge of bone that runs lengthwise along the midline of the top of the skull, usually at the sagittal suture. If you look at a skull, there is a a little suture where the plates grew together when you were a kid, and that sagittal crest will run right along that sagittal suture. Um, And this is in a lot of uh, mammalians and reptilian skulls and some others. Well, the the presence of this ridge of bone indicates that there are exceptionally strong jaw muscles. The sagittal crest serves primarily for attachment of the temporalis muscles, which is one of the main chewing muscles. So development of the sagittal crest is thought to be connected to the development of this muscle. And a sagittal crest usually develops during juvenile stage of an animal in conjunction with the growth of these temporalis muscles. So... Think about if you got a dog and you're petting the dog's head and you feel this ridge that runs about midway to the back of their skull and you feel that, that is what the sagittal crest is. And in short, the bigger that sagittal crest is, 
the stronger the jaw pressure is on that animal. So pit bulls have a really wide, tall sagittal crest. You're going to get bit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, German shepherds. Oh, you have a very large sagittal crest. (laughs) Yeah. And take your hand off. Uh, Pit bulls, um, Dobermans, German shepherds, all of them have a large sagittal crest. And for some reason, my beagle does, too. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I need to go. I think you'll fill my bulldog's head. Yeah, I bet theirs is going to be wider than oh, tall because yeah. um, bulldogs have great jaw pressure, but with their short, squatty features, I'm sure it is a basically a thick crest, not really a tall crest. Yeah. Um, now, all of y'all know, I'm sure from my pictures, I have Lauren Coleman's book, Cryptozoology A to Z. And, of course, I looked up the Orang Pendek in this book. Well, this is an excerpt that comes from this book. The best written description of Orang Pendek was documented in 1923 on the island of Polelo Ramau in Sumatra by Dutch explorer Van Hervarden. Um, I think I got that right. Van Hervarden. Yeah, I think you did, too. Um, while hunting for wild pig. Hervarden was startled by a slight movement in a lone tree. The creature Hervarden saw was described in Tropical Nature 13, which was published in 1924. He noted that the unknown primate, quote, was also hairy on the front of its body. The color there was a little lighter than on the back. The very dark hair on its head fell to just below the shoulder blades or even almost to the waist. It was fairly thin and very shaggy. The lower part of its face seemed to end in more of a point than a man's. This brown face was almost hairless, whilst its forehead seemed to be high rather than low. Its eyebrows were frankly moving. I'd pause the quote for a minute. <laughs> were, they, were they frankly, they were moving? Right. Or, or were they moving frankly? Right. That, that, that was my question is, they were frankly moving. Okay, well, <laughs> frankly, my dear. Anyway, that, that was, I mean, in the 1920s, they used some different language than we use now. So, frankly, I don't care. But they were frankly moving. Um, quote, they were of the darkest color, very lively and like human eyes. The nose was broad with fairly large nostrils, but in no way clumsy. I've had a clumsy nose before. It tripped all the time. <laughs> Every time it was running, it would trip. So its lips were quite... <laughs> you're welcome, man. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, its lips were quite ordinary, but the width of its mouth was strikingly wide when open. Its canine showed clearly from time to time as its mouth twitched nervously. He said, they seemed fairly large to me. At all events... They were more developed than a man's. The incisors were regular. The color of the teeth were yellowish white. Its chin was somewhat receding. For a moment, during a quick movement, I was able to see its right ear, which was exactly like a little human ear. Its hands were slightly hairy on the back. Had it been standing, its arms would have reached to a little about its knees. They were therefore long, but its hind legs seemed to be rather short. I did not see its feet, but I did see some toes which were shaped in a very normal manner. The specimen was of the female sex and about five feet high. There was nothing repulsive or ugly about its face, nor was it at all ape-like. 
Now, after observing the creature for some time, Van Hervarden put down his gun and climbed the tree, causing the orang pendek to move out to a branch and then drop roughly nine feet to the ground. So it's pretty spry for a, a creature, you know, of that size. It can mm-hmm. jump nine feet. If I jump nine feet, I'd break both legs. Oh, it's yeah. Just, I mean, I would, I would fall. My gangly little ankles would shatter. <laughs> And it, it wouldn't be a good sight. You should uh, always know your limits. Right. But I wouldn't be climbing the tree anyway, because I'm not, I, yeah, I, I ain't, like you said, I know my limits. I ain't climbing trees. No. <laughs> there better be something on the ground that's probably me to climb the tree. <laughs> right. If I'm climbing a tree. Right. And, you know, some people say it's because of my fear of heights, but I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of falling from those heights. That's right. And I know me, so I would fall. Well, Van Hervarden then dashed back to his gun, raised it to shoot the creature, but found himself unable to fire, citing that he would have felt like a murderer for killing something so human-like. Now, we've heard that before, Matt, from Mm -hmm. a lot of Bigfoot or ape hominoid sightings. Somebody was going to shoot it, but then they were like, oh, no, I can't because it's so human-like. Looks too much like a person. Right. And, I mean... I'm, in a way, I'm glad they didn't because you'd be killing one of these species that we may not know a lot about. But then in another way, I kind of, you know, we trap have it, some, rope we it. would have some evidence. Right. I'm not going to say I would like them to shoot that because I, I wouldn't. I don't want them to shoot it. But if you're that close, maybe get a rope and try to lasso it or something, you know, um, get us evidence. Yeah. And as we're going to see, these things are, are pretty wily. Oh, yeah. I mean, they uh, they are very adept based on uh, the accounts at avoiding detection and uh, even avoiding photographs. Right. I mean, they're, you know, they're they're pretty quick and they seem to be quite intelligent to know, hey, uh, I don't I don't really need these big hairless apes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Getting too close to me. Right. They look like they could hurt me. I'm going I'm to bug out. And that, that could be why, A, we don't have much information on them or any at all, really. And also how, why it could possibly be a species that's been around for a long time that we haven't discovered yet because they stay away from us weird-looking bald apes. Mm-hmm. You know? Because uh, they don't exactly live in a heavily populated area. No, either. that's very true. That's very true. Well, Van Hervarden returned to Europe with his tale, but no proof. His sighting was discounted by many, including one museum curator. Museum curator? Curator? Why yeah, is that so hard? Museum curator. Good grief. Who rejected the <laughs> idea on the grounds that his description of events was, in his words, too exact. Too exact. Right. And your, your description is too. I guess I can see that. It's kind of like uh, the lady doth protest too much. Right. You've got too much detail for this creature that you saw in the jungle, you know, to make me think that you're not making it up. Sure. Sure. You know, so. but you know, that's it's like we've talked about with photographic evidence before. We either have something that's too blurry, so it it obviously can't be matched to anything. Or it's too clear, 
So it obviously yeah. has to be a fake. Right. You but, know? You know, in this case, if you don't describe in greater detail, then it just sounds like you're describing another well-known primate. Sure. Oh, sure. you saw you saw some other type of monkey or gibbon or orangutan, and that's all it was. Right. So if you right. don't focus on these subtle but obvious differences, then nobody's still going to believe you because they're all going to think you're just seeing another monkey. Yeah, exactly. So when you're looking at something like this, I mean, I think it's kind of stupid for them to totally discount it. You know, yeah. if you take the report and and put it down somewhere and maybe go back to it later, but don't totally discount it because like you said, if you just said, hey, I saw this reddish brown, you know, ape in a tree, the first thing you would always go to is orangutan, which yeah. we'll talk about um, here before long. But, you know, Matt's absolutely right. You need that extra description. You need his exactness in the description to be able to differentiate it from something else. So I don't know that it just, it was weird to me for them to say, Oh, you were too exact. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. Okay. Well, your, your report is, uh, too accurate. So obviously it's wrong. (laughs) Think about if we did that a lot now, you know, you got somebody out there, describing a bird species and they're like oh no that's too exact this picture is way too clear and (laughs) you're describing its behavior way too exactly you must have made this up yeah we wouldn't find anything it just it's weird to me weird 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 anyway off the tangent uh we need to talk about this creature's behavior a little bit um because it is slightly different than what we have come to know from Bigfoot and the Yeti and all that. Um, Or other primates. Right, exactly. Um, So it does prefer walking on the ground, but it seems just as comfortable in trees, which is not normal for most apes. Most apes are either arboreal or land-based. You know, there's not many apes that we have nowadays that are just as comfortable in a tree and on the ground because their limbs were developed for one or the other. Right. Um, Now it walks with its weight placed on the outer edge of its foot. And I do that. I don't know why, but all my shoes wear on the outside. So maybe I'm part orang pendek. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Now that would explain all the hair. Uh Uh, Yeah. I was was about to go there. (laughs) Um, now it runs on two legs and sometimes it'll hold its arms kind of out in front, which if you picture that, that's a weird way to run, um, running with its arms out, not in a locomotion type fashion like we do. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a cartoon run. Um, now it makes whistling and babbling noises, um, to communicate and its distress call is a, uh, which pretty good. Thank you. I've been working on that. I'm working on it for a full week to go. Huh, huh. Um, now it's food. I kind of make the same noise when I'm hungry too. Yeah, no kidding, right? I'm in distress, and I'm like, who, who, help? See, that's one step. That's one step away from being help. So that's it's right. learning English. 
Hello friends, my name is Michael Patrick and I'm the host of the Monsters and Friends podcast. Each week, my Bigfoot friend Barry and I fire up our trusty Winnebago and we travel the United States in search of cryptids, legends, and lore. However, we're not looking for any old cryptid, legend, and lore. We want to introduce you to some of the monsters of the world that don't get the same spotlight as Barry's cousin Bigfoot. Did you know that in Ireland, there's an eight-foot murderous otter? Or in the Mongolian desert, there's a worm that can kill you. Instantly. Come with Barry and I each and every week as we travel the United States in search of interesting monsters and stories. Once we find them, we usually find a good spot to camp, sit around the campfire, sip on warm cider, and chat about life, or sometimes butterflies. We'd love for you to join us each and every week and learn about the amazing things and stories that we discover. You can find the Monsters and Friends podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll chat again real soon. Now, its food consists of shoots, sugarcane, and fruit, especially the durian, which is a nasty, nasty fruit. Um, Freshwater mollusks, snakes, and worms, and occasionally they're known to raid plantations and gardens of humans. So they seem to eat pretty well in that area, but if you look at the area that we're talking about, it is a lush area with a lot of vegetation and, and a lot of food sources for something like this. If it it was an unknown primate, it definitely has the area to find food. It's Mm -hmm. not going to go hungry. Right. Um, So let's talk about its tracks a little bit. Now its tracks are five inches to six inches in length and they're similar to a human footprint, but broader. They're usually about four inches wide and they're slightly shorter Uh, Some prints will show all five toes of equal size. Others show a prominent big toe, which is sometimes semi-opposed. Now, its heel in some cases is narrow and pretty well-rounded. Yeah, and they they call the heel a banana heel Mm -hmm. because of the way that it's rounded. Um, But let's talk about these footprints for just a minute. Um, the, the, The unique thing about the orang pendek prints that they have found and casted is that adam said they they have this prominent big toe but this big toe is 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 like an opposable thumb Mm -hmm. which is similar to an orangutan right but the difference when they when they look at the casting is that as adam mentioned the the toes are short and broad like a human's Whereas an orangutan has long finger-like toes, okay, because right. you know the orangutan lives in trees. Right, it's and one so of those it, that's more arboreal, built right. for arboreal life and not on the ground. Why its feet are like that? Yeah, exactly. So it's meant for for grasping branches and climbing. So it, the there are similarities and there are differences. But I had a cousin with feet like that. It's almost yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've known people that can like pick up crap with their toes. 
Yep. Open a beer can with their toes and yeah, yeah. Weird, uh, weird stuff. I uh, mean, put your feet away. Like, yeah, I, I, it's freaky to me. I'm telling but, you. But they, but those feet, the, their feet are almost a a hybrid between an orangutan and a human. So just imagine if if you if if you had uh, if your fingers look like toes, if your fingers look like your toes, but you still had your thumb where it's located. This is kind of how these prints appear. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not stuck way up there like a big toe. It's kind of hanging out down on the side, more like a thumb. Right. Okay. So it, it's kind of like that uh, missing link that they used to say between one it. species and another. You got it. And and the the thing about it is is that formation of 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 footprint doesn't exist in any known primate. Right. There's there's not another primate that is known on Earth that has a foot formation like this mm-hmm. at all. So again, that's what makes the orang uh, pendex such a mystery. Is is that there's there we don't really have anything equally to compare it to. Right. I mean, we're 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 making comparisons to other known animals, but there's there's significant differences. Sure. And and one thing too, because we'll talk about some of these theories, but we were talking about how the orang pendex where it lives in in Sumatra and in, in this in this area orangutans are not known to live in this area and they have never been spotted in this region of Sumatra so it, it's it's not like they're finding orangutan prints and mistaking them because right. there's not orangutans around mm-hmm. you know they've never seen one to say oh well they live here too so th- this could be a mistake so in talking about orangutans not being there let's talk about where the orang pendek is actually found like it's it's distribution well it's southern sumatra indonesia uh kind of south of the equator um but they think now that all orang pendek are restricted to the Mount Kerinci region of south, uh, that's south of Padang there. Um, so when Matt said it's only in one small area, that's the small area they're talking about is the Mount Kerinci region south of Padang. So, yeah. you know, it's not like we have a bunch of these sightings anywhere else. It's yeah. localized to this area. Um now, following the sighting of Van Hervarden and several other reported sightings, there were several expeditions that were mounted by explorers armed with shotguns um, wanting to, you know, make their scientific reputations here. Um, so let's go shoot it. They must have been Southerners. <laughs> let's they, kill one. Yeah, let's find it and let's shoot it, Bessie. We're going to get me one. Um, now, none of these expeditions were successful in trapping or killing an orang pendek. Um, however, they did manage to shoot and kill a crazy amount of honey bears and sun bears, um, which uh, at the time had the misfortune of being misidentified in the jungle. So poor bears that right. were just out there eating and 
Bubba was like, I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to get it. So they they had a and bunch I of bear meat. I don't know why. I don't know why that they they misidentified honey bears. Sun no. bears, sun bears I can see, but honey bears, I mean, they're they're yellow. They wear a little red t-shirt. You know, they hang out with little pigs. So how could you mistake a honey bear for this orang pendek? I I I know. I it just seems ridiculous that, you know. <laughs> Well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> oh, bother. <laughs> As it's getting shot. Oh, bother. <laughs> so in 1924, the National Museum in Bogor obtained the cast of an Orang Pendek. Now, this track was rapidly identified as that of a Malay sun bear, um, an animal that's known to sometimes stand on its hind legs. Well, already skeptical scientists were ready to write off stories of Orang Pendex as a myth, um, and that chance came several years later when, in response to a posted reward, the body of an animal alleged to be a young Orang Pendex was recovered and sent to the National Zoology Museum in Bogor, Java. Now, the discovery of this body made headline news for about 48 hours until the corpse was identified as that of a adult Langer monkey whose body had been altered by a group of locals in hopes of claiming the reward. Now, this hoax all but killed any serious scientific interest in the Orang Pendek. Yeah. So this is this one faked body is why we haven't really launched any more expeditions to find it. Right. And, you know, that's crazy because, you know, I remember reading into this stuff and going, well, this obvious, there's no, there's no way you're going to hoax this. I mean, <laughs> look at where it is. Right. Who, who can get there? This is one of the most remote rainforests on earth. Mm-hmm. Who's going to go to those kind of links to, to, you know, formulate a hoax? Well, right. <laughs> well some locals did. They did it. Yeah. A but, long time ago. Yeah. But they didn't, you know, it's not like you had anybody dressed up in a suit. Right. They actually just shot a local uh, Langer monkey and probably shaved it a little bit and, yeah. you know, messed with its feet shaved or something. It down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make its face, you know, make it yeah. smile. Make it smile. Come on. <laughs> they must have had a subscription to those razor companies we hear ads from all the time and <laughs> shaved its face all good. Uh, that's insane. Right. So, but, well, I was going to I was going to bring into you know the the time frame that we're talking about. There were there were other people around this time that had seen um supposed orang pendex in this same area. And in in 1927, uh, a man by the name of A.H.W. Kramer, who was working at a plantation, claimed he got within 30 feet of an orang ping deck near right right near Carinchy. And he says the animal was short. He it was noted for its long hair and eerie human like footprints. Now, not too long after that. A Sergeant Major Van Esch of the Topographical Service had his his own sighting near a large jungle-surrounded cliff in Ceruligan. 
say that say that several times. Well fast. done. But uh, he said, as the creature uh, uh, was oblivious to the presence of uh, Van Ash for a while, and it was just walking along, and the sergeant major could see that it had this huge muscular chest, a wide head, dark skin. Now he adds the presence of large fangs, which we we don't really hear about with no. uh, the orangutan. The, the teeth are much more, um, you know, blunt and and designed for for chewing, where you would expect to have the long fangs in in more of a predator, um, which we we don't really see in a lot of the descriptions of the orangutan. deck. He may so, have been mistaking the incisors and exaggerating them, you mm-hmm. know, um, which is highly possible. Uh, in that moment, he's like, oh, my God, it's got huge, huge fangs. Well, it's just you right. saw its incisors a little bit. Maybe it smiled well, at him. And fear. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. if you don't know what it is. Um, you know, fear takes over and, and, and everything seems exaggerated. And if you think this thing is going to attack you, then, mm-hmm. yeah, it's got big, ferocious fangs. And, um, and you know, it's going to bite my throat out. Sure. But there was one other explorer around this time, Benedict Allen. And he had heard so many stories of sightings of the Orane Pendek. Um, you know, he he looked into it, but he was looking into sightings that were uh, about 20 years later or so in, in, during the Second World War. And one of them actually concerned the sight of an entire group of Orane Pendek throwing sticks at workmen on the Trans-Sumatran Highway. Oh, wow. So, you know... Again, this is kind of outside of what has been formulated as the Orang Pendex behavior. You know, they they are reclusive. They they shy away from human contact. Um, you know, they they don't uh, they certainly don't you know seek out interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't tend to be aggressive. So for you know this to have been an attack you know, th- throwing sticks at workers on the highway. Yeah. I, you know, I'm that's like, a little oh, abnormal. Okay. But, uh, but again, that that's not normal animal behavior. You know, I mean, if, uh, if another primate was doing something like this, it would be unusual. It would I be mean, defensive, it, it, you know, not right, uh, it, offensive. It would be defensive. If you weren't threatening them, then this probably wouldn't happen. So something about this particular event, if accurate, gives some credence to the the higher level of intelligence. Sure. You know, sure. That, that this is, you know, this is a thoughtful being and, you know, they, they process things on a higher level than, uh, than what we know primates do. And we know that primates are intelligent. I mean, there's there's no no doubt about that. I mean, if you can teach a gorilla sign language, mm-hmm. we know that that primates are intelligent. But you know, to take it a step further, and maybe these people were they were invading their territory, right? And and to have a thought process that said, well, we don't want to get close to them because they could be dangerous, but we want to. We want to frighten them off, so let's throw some crap at them. Yeah, yeah. That, 
That sounds like something I would do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Get I'm off my lawn. Down there. I'm not going over there. Yeah. But I'm going to throw some crap at those guys <laughs> and let them know I don't want you here. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and the only other time I've heard of a group of orangs being seen, um, there was a report I saw. It, it wasn't like I didn't find it many places. So that'll tell you maybe not as valid as some other sightings, but there was apparently some seismic activity going on in that area. And some locals said they saw some orang pendek like creatures run out of the jungle in fear and, you know, try to figure out what was going on before they ran back into the jungle to hide again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was a very quick blurb about that, but you don't normally hear about a group of orang pendex being seen. It, it's pretty solitary like the Bigfoot sightings are. You don't hear about, sure, they have family groups, but you don't hardly ever see them in family groups or large communal groups at all. I would think if they lived in large communal groups, they would be much more easy to discover. Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's a lot easier to hide individuals than it is, you know, an entire community. Right. So even a group of five or six would be more apt to be discovered, at least by this point, Mm -hmm. you know, than maybe, you know, a series of individuals that, you know, are are more lone, uh, solitary animals. Right. Right. Now, found some stuff uh, by a man named Adam Davies, and he's a explorer, cryptozoologist and writer. Um, and he had a little blurb about it, and uh, Matt's got some information on him too. But uh, he says locals in western Sumatra have continued to see the Orang Pendek right through to the modern day. Now, conservationist Debbie Martyr and photographer Jeremy Holden, who both had eyewitness sightings, both described to me a creature consistent with the descriptions uh, that we've heard before interestingly debbie echoed to me the view of van hervarden in 1923 the most shocking thing about the orang pendek was that it seemed so human now in 2011 he says he led an expedition in which team member dave archer and chief guide sahar didmus also saw an orang pendek he says we were moving slightly silently and slowly as possible through the jungle when we heard a noise up ahead our guide Donnie and I branched one way while Sahar and Dave went the other. Now, according to Dave, the creature squashed its face and body into a tree in order to remain hidden. Dave could see it was blowing out of the corner of its mouth and rolling its eyes in a clear state of fear before moving off in the deep undergrowth. Sahar, who had previously had a direct encounter with a tiger, found the whole experience so moving that he burst into tears. Yeah, and this this expedition um also included uh Richard Freeman who is the zoological director for the Center of Fortean Zoology um it is probably the most famous expedition in the hunt for the orang pendek it's yes. definitely one of the most recent and i mean this thing was for an expedition to Sumatra it was fairly large scale and and it was featured on an episode of Monster Quest. So if, if you're interested in, in seeing what this area 
is like. Um, you can see that episode, and you can you can see um, you know Adam Davies, um, and and they do a lot of interviews with with Jeremy Holden, uh, who played a big part of this. And if you if you're not familiar with Jeremy Holden, um, he he is probably one of the most famous animal photographers out there. He has managed to capture some of the the rarest animals on earth in in photographs. I mean mm-hmm. some some are, you know, like the Asian elephant and things like that. He has been able to find them. And not only that, he he has found them in places where they weren't thought to exist previously. Right, right. So, you know, they they're not taking people that are that are any slouch. I mean, they didn't just grab some guy off the street with a camera and go, Hey, you want to, you want to go try to take a picture of this, uh, uh, unknown primate. I mean, this, this guy, this is what he does. So, I mean, they, they went with the, with the express, uh, concern of finding and proving the existence of, of this animal. So, um, it's, it's extremely interesting. We're going to talk a little bit more, uh, about this particular expedition later. Now, according to local Indonesians, the Orang Pendek is an intelligent creature with an uncanny ability to avoid detection while watching humans, causing Sumatrans to fear the creature and its clandestine nature. So, like Matt said, it's good at avoiding detection. Um, during one native's encounter, he said the creature put its arms in the air to make itself look bigger and more threatening, which is a classic ape intimidation instinct. Now, other encounters have reported similar signs of aggression, though it's unclear whether one of these creatures has ever attacked or not. Um, so it, it, defensive, again, it, it's you're coming into its area and it feels threatened, so it's going to try to protect itself. It's not seeking you out to hurt you. Um, so as Matt said, the stone throwing at the people was a little bit out of character. Um, now there's another sighting that came from former military helicopter pilot who spotted the creature while flying through Karenchi Seblet national park. Now the epicenter, uh, of the Orang Pendek sightings, um, there he said he witnessed the cryptid in a tree and flew closer to get a better look. So yeah, the, and this particular pilot was um, was Larry Wilson, and this sighting came roughly around the end of 1970. He says probably late November, early December, and you know the, he was he was fly, He was on a mission. Um, I think they they were looking for like some. Uh, transmitters or something that had gone gone bad and they were on a mission to replace them and when mm-hmm. he says when he saw this thing initially uh larry said he thought it was an enemy you know he thought it was an enemy soldier and he was they said they were getting ready to shoot it right but he said as they saw it move they said it was shaking a tree and he said he was able to get his helicopter a little bit closer and this thing stayed and kept shaking the tree but then when he got a little bit closer he said that that's when it started to 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 move away. But uh, Wilson says that it, it was absolutely not a human, but it wasn't like anything else he had ever seen. Right. So it, you know, it, it it had it had human enough um, movements and characteristics 
that he he knew really quickly. He said, if if this is a a primate, if this is an ape, he said it's nothing like I've ever seen. And I mean, we're talking about a helicopter pilot that's you know flying over the jungles, you know, during the Vietnam War. They saw plenty of stuff. Oh sure, over there to be able to know. Okay, I know what that is. That's an animal. That's not, you know, an enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, you know those 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 guys. And again, we've talked about this before. He's not going to come back as a pilot and go, "Man, you won't believe what I saw in this tree." <laughs> right. You know, he's not going to spin some yarn about some unknown animal that that he managed to see. If that's not exactly what he saw. Now, I, you know, he's convincing enough to to say, look, I'm not saying I saw this orang pendek, but he said, whatever I saw, I certainly had never seen anything like it. And it wasn't anything that I knew to look for. Sure. So. And then that, that's just uh, to me, when we like we've talked so many times before, when we get and experience or a sighting from somebody like that, that throws more credibility on that creature or that experience. While we're talking about these sightings, we were, we were discussing the, the 2010, 2011, uh, expedition, you know, including, you know, Richard Freeman, Adam Davies, Jeremy Holden, uh, in the search for the Orang Pendek. Now, this uh, this expedition began around a village named An- Anuli Pai, um, which I love that name. Oh yeah, <laughs> Anuli Pai, um, and and the reason they started there was because there was a local man that had reported a previous encounter where he witnessed a bipedal creature in the jungle. Now he said that the creature was covered in black hair, stood about four feet tall. He described the face as having a flat nose and a broad mouth, but that he knew it wasn't a monkey, a gibbon, or a sun bear. Now we're we're gonna talk, but let's talk about sun bears briefly. Um, sun bears, also known as the moon jab, okay, they're commonly mentioned by skeptics as a possible animal mistaken for the orang pendek. Now, the sun bear is the smallest of all bear species. And they stand about four feet tall. It does have the ability to walk briefly on its hind legs. It's also an excellent climber. Now, footprints of the sun bear, they have a really similar structure to human footprints. They have short, broad toes positioned at the front of the foot. And like we said, with the footprints associated with the orang pendek, they have that additional opposable thumb thing that uh, makes their footprints, like I said, more like a cross between a sun bear and an orangutan. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're like me, you didn't know what a sun bear looked like. <laughs> so I went and found pictures of a sun bear. Now, depending on the pictures you look at, some sun bears have more of a pointed face. And, and look more like a bear. Some of them have more of what I would describe as, as a, a sloth face, where right, it's, yeah. it's flatter. So reading the descriptions, 
and and looking and and, if, and sun bear are they're they're typically black, but their face is a lighter yellow color. Mm-hmm. So from a distance in the jungle, not knowing what you're looking at, um, sure you could mistake highly possible. This, yeah, this this yellowy face for a face with much less hair on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could say that there's, and if a, if this thing had a flatter face, you could say that's got a, a flat face more like a human being than it does an actual, you know, bear or a monkey or a gibbon or an orangutan. And, you know, so there's, there's a possibility that a lot of these sightings could have been sun bears, especially the ones that, they weren't quite close enough to get a good glimpse of it. Yep, highly possible. For yeah. Sure. So you know, but but look up look up sun bear. I was I was surprised because I I didn't know what a sun bear was. I didn't I didn't even I'd never even heard of a sun bear. Certainly not a moon jab, but I like that name better. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's a moon jab walking over there. Um, sounds but, more well, dangerous than a sun bear. It certainly does. Well, it's a moon jab, but it's a sun bear. Yeah. So, I don't know. Who knows, man? <laughs> maybe maybe one is at night and one's during the day. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But the interesting thing is the behavior of this thing. It, it, it seemed to be afraid of him, and he said it quickly walked away. But while it was walking away, it was looking from side to side. So, it was scanning possibly looking for other humans. Right. You know, looking for other dangers. I mean, a, a lot of animals are just going to leave. They're not going to worry about looking around, you know, and you certainly wouldn't be able to see them well enough actually scan from left to right. Now, a Kubu chief named Tarib informed the team of an encounter he had five years prior, again, in this same area where he had come up upon a similar creature with a monkey-like face, but it was walking on two legs and it was covered in black hair. Tareeb said he had taken the creature by surprise and it be- began to wave its arms above its head and charged him. Tareeb said he quickly ran and found a hiding place behind some vines, but there he was able to see the creature actually looking for him, scanning the area. Now, this particular encounter was so unique because the Arane Pendek, as we've said, typically acts afraid of humans and does not show this type of aggression. Sure. So you can you can look at this one of two ways. You can look at this as well. Then it obviously wasn't based on what we we, we have had described as Arane Pendek behavior. They would not be this aggressive. That does not necessarily mean that they're all not aggressive. Or if it was frightened and was feeling, you know, uh, attacked, that it wouldn't take on a defensive behavior. Right, right. You know, and so a, a lot of primates will bring their hands up um, when they feel threatened. You know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a technique to make them look bigger and more threatening. I do it anytime kids run at me. <laughs> I'm like, no, no. Ah, hands ah, up. I'm big. I'm scary. <laughs> Yeah, so so these two these two sightings were relayed to the team prior to beginning their expedition, just after they uh, 
they had gotten into Sumatra. Um, but but these were exciting because they they kind of felt like we've got a really good shot here. Now that uh, this was the uh, expedition where they did find uh, that particular one that had his face mashed against the tree. Now, amazingly enough to me, they were unable to get a photograph, which this is a common theme. Oh, when yeah. You hear these uh, experiences with the orang pendek. I was I was so amazed. I was so shocked that I was I was frozen in my tracks. Mm-hmm. And I and I had my camera in my hand and I I couldn't get a photo. I'm like, "Man, really?" Yeah. You went there to take a photo and you couldn't <laughs> yeah. get it. That was your sole purpose of going there and you didn't do it. And now they use trap cameras. Um, on this expedition, and they they had them all over the place, and they didn't catch anything. So that's the way it goes. Either it's not there, or they were looking in the wrong place, or it was smart enough to go, "Hey, you see these big hairless apes over there? They're sticking something on that tree. <laughs> Let's avoid that. Right? <laughs> that might be dangerous." So let's not go that way. We'll go I've, this way. I've wondered that too, because, you know, if they're good at avoiding, and this goes for a lot of cryptids that we talk about, if they're good at avoiding being seen, but people believe that they watch humans, when you're setting up trail cams, how are you not being watched? Right. You know, and trail cams give off an electromagnetic frequency and a hum and everything that's below the range that we can hear, but we know animals can pick up on electromagnetic waves. Now, what if creatures like the orang have a heightened sense of electromagnetic sensitivity, so they will feel the electromagnetic waves coming off of this trail cam and go, you know what, that's weird, that's not normal. Um, they've painted it to make it look like it should be normal, but I can tell that it's not. So I'm going to avoid this area. You know, I, I, I think for some animals, trail cams are great, but if we're looking at an animal that's supposed to be highly intelligent, mm-hmm. then trail cams are not the way to go because they're going to know something is out of place with their habitat and they're going to smell you in the area. And right. go, oh, this smells like human. It's giving off weird electromagnetic waves. I, I don't like this. So I'm going to avoid the area for a while. Mm-hmm. There, we've got to come up with a different way to photograph or to find supposed highly intelligent creatures because it's not working. Right. Adam's right. If, if we're going to if we're going to actually get out there and prove that these creatures do exist, um, whether they are an undiscovered primate, whether they are some missing link type ape-human hybrid, um, or, or whether it's actually just, has been speculated, a, an evolved orangutan. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's an orangutan. You know, whatever it is, and we're going to get into those ideas of what it is. We're going to have to use something else. So 
Debbie Martyr is, is probably the most famous researchers in the search for the Orang Pendek. Now, she's a former Brit- uh, British journalist. Say that. Um, <laughs> and she took on the approach much like Jane Goodall and Diane Fossey. She wanted to study these primates in their own environment, so she went to live with them. So, I mean, now Goodall and Fossey knew that chimpan- chimpanzees and gorillas existed when Did they you made just their say decision. chimpanzees. Did I say chimpanzees? Chimpanzees. <laughs> Maybe I did. <laughs> Sorry. I just heard that and it. <laughs> chimpanzees exist. Chimpanzees may not. I don't know what a chimpanzee is. <laughs> I swear. I'm, I, we're, we've I love it. We've been saying all these other names and doing pretty decent tonight. I know. And I can't even say chimpanzee. <laughs> it uh. just, oh, that was good. That made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> man, you're as bad as Amanda. She does that crap to me all the time, too. Are you having a stroke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you smell toast? Chimpanzees. <laughs> but like I was saying, they, they already knew. They knew. Okay, these are real animals. I want to study them. I'm going to go where these real animals are. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find them, and I'm going to live with them. Okay? So Debbie Martyr took took that approach. I'm going to go and I'm going to live and and become become a part of their environment. Sure. And maybe that will pro- promote me seeing them. Sure. Learning about them, interacting with them. So she really had to take a leap of faith by going to live in Indonesia. And and she would not only be able to find hoping she would not only be able to find proof of the existence but but study them much more closely. So Debbie recalls a sighting in September of 1989, right around Mount Carinchi. Now, in her words, she said, I had a camera in my hand, but I froze because I did not know what I was seeing. Uh, so she didn't get a picture. Uh, but, but she describes the creature as relatively small, immensely strong, non-human primate. Said it's built like a boxer with an immense upper body strength. It was a gorgeous color, moving bipedally and trying to avoid being seen. So that's 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 an interesting thing that, that you could actually see a behavior that looked like it was trying to avoid detection, right? You know, actively trying to hide. Yeah. So while investigating in 1994, Martyr again saw the Orang Pendek in the jungles of Sumatra. Unfortunately, she was again unable to snap a photo in time, but knows that she witnessed a bipedal primate unlike anything else she had ever seen. Now, Martyr firmly believes that due to these sightings and that the Orang Pendek truly exists, but she describes herself as a skeptic. Now, in 2004, Martyr wrote, I don't believe in the abominable snowman. My father was in Tibet and saw what he was told were Yeti tracks, but they turned out to be bare footprints. They are just too big. I think three meter tall apes are too big. Maybe there has been an exaggeration through fear. I don't believe in things like Bigfoot. Now, she goes on to say in the same quote, 
that she believes that the, the Yeren in China may exist and that orangutans did live in China during the uh, Pleistocene era. Pleistocene? Pleistocene there you era? Go. Yeah, Pleistocene era. But speculating further, that this could have been, like I said earlier, a speciation of the orangutan, much like people believe the orang pendek to be. You know, so Debbie's pretty much, she's a unique person. No, oh, I mean, yeah. she has she has really taken it upon herself to try and study and prove the existence of the orang pendek w- w- based on essentially evidence of um, footprint castings, um, ane- anecdotal stories, um, local eyewitness sightings. But the sightings that she's had herself drive her to continue this search. Now, I can appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that she uh, she's going about this a different way. You know, these these large scale expeditions, you know, these these technical um, uh, outings where, you know, they're they're using all this equipment and and things like that. Adam makes a good point, you know, for a creature that can actively avoid detection, you know, this may push them further away. Mm-hmm. And if they've been in the Sumatran jungle for as long as what it is speculated, then they've gotten extremely good at not being found. Absolutely. So if a human is going to find and interact with these, these animals, it's going to require somebody that knows the jungle and lives there, knows what creatures are there, knows what to expect, you know, knows what she's seeing in order to tell the difference. And I mean, there's, you can't go and stay for two or three weeks and, and accomplish that. There's just no way. And, you know, the, the locals are, are, are good sources for stories of the sightings, but you know, who knows? I mean, you know, you're, you know, you're you're talking about folks that you know they're they're living on an on an island which is mostly rainforest. Um, you know they they live a much simpler life. I'm not saying that they're not intelligent. Um, I'm just saying you know we've seen this throughout history, where peoples that live in remote areas they have their own ideas and mindsets about what the world is like around them and what the animals that they interact with are. And if you grow up with stories of this creature, you have a tendency to believe that it's real. And so to me, the, the local stories um, are, are going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be flavored a little bit with the idea that these things are already real. We're not trying to prove their existence. We know they exist. You just don't see them very often. So if if I'm convinced and I'm trying to tell you about something I saw, you know, I, I, I could probably convince you, yeah, you know, that there's something out there. So I, I think the local stories are great. You just take them with a grain of salt. But when we talk about the time frame of how long these creatures have been around and how well they have adapted, um, in all the way back, to 1295 mm-hmm. 
when Marco Polo visited the island of Sumatra, the islanders supposedly presented him with a small ape-like man. And this could be the earliest evidence of the orang pendek. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, almost a thousand years. Right. You know, 800 to a thousand years, these creatures could have lived in this jungle, this remote jungle, and avoided detection. They've gotten really good at not being found. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and and, and one thing, I, I did have a point earlier that just came back to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were talking about, there was always a question when we're talking about any cryptid is, why aren't we finding dead bodies? Right. They touch on this um, during this expedition. They they find evidence that there's possibly a tiger in this in this area of the jungle they're searching, which you know is significant for a lot of reasons. Number one, you don't want to be poking around in the jungle if there's a tiger, right, r- running around. But what they found were were deer bones, and and they were fresh, probably within the last two or three days they estimate. But the point they bring up is the jungle, it, it absorbs the, you know, these things quickly. Oh yeah. You know, oh yeah. B- bodies of dead animals. Um, they, they decay. They are consumed. You know, they are broken down a lot faster in the jungle than they would be typically because of, you know, the wet environment, because of not only predators, but scavengers. Right. And the you acidity know. of the soil right. and the, the bugs. And and so, you know, if you've got an animal that avoids detection, dies in the jungle, his, his the carcass may not be there no. for... Uh, years and years you know you 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 may not be able to to find evidence that it was even there in a matter of a week or so right you know because all of those aspects of the jungle have just gotten rid of it it is Mm -hmm. just it's it's now part of the jungle right so you know it's it's not something very common to just be marching around and be like oh here well there's some dead orang pendex if if we had dead ones We'd already proven the existence of it. Sure, sure. You know, so as promised, we're going to talk about what um, what these things could could be. You know, could they exist? And 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 if if they do, you know, where did they come from? What are they? So uh, so Adam's going to tell us a little bit about that. All right. So as with all cryptozoological finds or speculations, we have people who bring theories to the table. And some of them are better than others. Um, Well, the first one that we need to talk about is an unknown species of primate. You know, it could be related to the Siamang, which is the largest gibbon, which stands about three foot tall and inhabits the same general area. So it could be a cousin of an already known gibbon that we just haven't discovered yet, which is highly, highly possible. And Matt and I kind of fall in that camp um, mm-hmm. on on this one and and on a lot of things, it's just 
it's closely related to something we already have found, but we just haven't found this species yet. Um, another one is the orangutan, which Matt and I have talked about extensively in this episode, um, but it's native to the general area, but not where they see the orang pendek. So it could move in to that area, and maybe we're seeing a, a migration of that, but you would think with as long as we have been seeing these, um, the orang pendek in that area, that we would know, okay, orangutans have moved into this area now. It wouldn't be unknown since we know the creature and we know how to find them. They say there could be a Sumatran occurrence of the bonobo. And this is a chimpanzee that's usually only found in Central Africa. Um, And it's been suggested by Deborah Martyr um, that this possibly could be it. Um, But a bonobo has a rounder cranium than most other primates, um, a less pronounced brow ridge, and less of a tendency to go bald, which I thought was an odd description of this thing. <laughs> Unlike I mean, it, primates like me. Yeah, it's got good <laughs> genes, I guess, you know. The sun bear is one that's been thrown around, and Matt um, did a pretty good job of explaining the sun bear and the sun bear prince. Um, but, you know, they say that it doesn't often walk upright. It will stand upright if it's feeding or if it's looking around but it doesn't walk um so if we see something walking bipedally then it's not a sun bear because sun bears don't walk that way um there's another theory that it could be a surviving homo erectus but the orang pendek is smaller than what we know the the homo erectus to be they say no fossil hominids have been found in sumatra well Remember what we talked about when we discussed fossil formation in a previous episode and what uh, Matt and I just talked about, about the decay of a body in a jungle. So that area is not conducive to forming fossils. So we wouldn't have fossil evidence of a hominid living in that area. You know, that that's not a good point to bring up when you're talking, well, we don't have fossil evidence of it. Yeah, we don't. And we don't in most jungle settings. We don't find fossils. Now, the last theory that I've got is my absolute favorite for this. Um, It is Homo floresiensis, um, also known as the Hobbit. Now, remains have only really been found in the island of Flores, Indonesia. Um, The fossils of Homo floresiensis date back between 100,000 and 60,000 years ago. Um, Stone tools made by the species date to between 190,000 and 50,000 years old. Um, Floresiensis individuals stood approximately 3 foot 6 inches tall, had tiny brains, large teeth for their small size, Shrugged forward shoulders, no chins, receding foreheads, and relatively large feet due to their short legs. Now, despite their small body and brain size, Floresiensis made and used stone tools, hunted small elephants and large rodents, and coped with predators such as giant Komodo dragons, and they also could have used fire. Now, 
the diminutive stature and small brain of Floresiensis may have resulted from island dwarfism, um, which is an evolutionary process that results from long-term isolation on a small island with limited food resources and a lack of predators. Pygmy elephants on Flores, um, which are extinct now, showed the same adaptation, basically. Um, But the smallest known species of Homo and Stegodon elephant are both found on the island of Flores, Indonesia. But some scientists are now considering the possibility that ancestors of Homo floresiensis may have been small when they first reached Flores. So, all of that to say, in to me, because of the intelligence of these creatures, the supposed intelligence of these creatures, how long they've been around, the physical descriptions, it's highly possible, in my opinion, that we could have a relic population of Homo floresiensis in Sumatra that is really good at avoiding detection. The, from what we know of the fossils, it's very, very similar to the Orang Pendek descriptions. Yeah, and I mean, I'm with Adam on this. Um, you know, we, we have seen in the modern day, you know, islands that are populated with people who are 100% isolated from the rest of the world. Right. So it, it's not, especially when we're talking about the remote area of Sumatra, that these this particular species could have survived for hundreds and hundreds of years um, w- without human detection. So I, I know it, 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 it sounds like a reach if, uh, if you're not buying into this, but there's even without photography, even without fossil, even without, you know, actual, you know, physical evidence, there is still a lot of compelling evidence that would lead you to believe there is something that resides in that jungle um, that, for whatever reason, humans haven't been able to fully identify yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you may wonder, okay, this, is, this has been kind of like science lesson on graveyard tales. <laughs> you know, wh- why, you know, we're, we're really talking about an, an, uh, an animal that hasn't been discovered or... Um, you know, a, a an old human or, or uh, Homo erectus type species, right? So why why would Adam and I take time on on this show to discuss you know a topic like this? Well, you know, from my point of view, is if these creatures can exist without detection, and there's enough evidence that it's it's possible that they have been here for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Why are we so ready to discount other creatures with a similar background? Right. Exactly. So, so we're, we're looking at the possibility. In fact, Richard Freeman says that he, he firmly believes that we're right on the cusp of proving the existence of the orang pendek. 
what if we're right on the cusp of proving the existence of some of these other cryptids that we've seen? Because some of them have similar stories, and they're not as just outlandish as some of the more fun ones that Adam and I have discussed on this show. So this is why Adam is such a cryptozoology fan. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. Exactly. The, these are the type of stories that make you stop and go, well, maybe some of these other ones are possible. Yep. Absolutely right. I don't know how to better put it than what you just did, but if there is a place that an unknown hominid is going to live, um, that is going to live without being detected for so many centuries, to me, a isolated patch of jungle in Sumatra would be a great place. Right. Because it's not really inhabited. We don't take expeditions there much. It's not touristy. So there's not going to be a lot of outside sightings of this creature. So if I wanted to hide and not be found, I would go to the same type of place, an Mm -hmm. isolated jungle away from a lot of civilization. So this is one of the more plausible cryptozoological discoveries, in my opinion, that we could make, Um, you know, a lot more than the Honey Island Swamp Monster down there in Louisiana. You know, I mean, that sure, you've got some unexplored regions, but we got a lot of hunters and stuff out there and it supposedly comes into towns and stuff like that. So it's cool, but it's not as plausible to me as the Orang Pendek in Sumatra. Right. So maybe we're just lost in a fantasy world here talking about it. Um, But what do you guys think? Do you think that the Orang Pendek is possible? Is it out there? What is it? Um, Have Matt and I just lost our dang minds thinking that it's plausible? (laughs) That's always um, that's always a possibility. Oh yeah, that that's always an option <laughs> that you can pick from. Is that Matt and I have finally gone off the deep end? Um, but let us know. You know, uh, email us, hit us up on the website graveyardpodcast.com. You can send us a note from there, and it'll go to our email address. Um, hit us up on Facebook. Get in the group when this episode drops and start talking about it. That's where some of the best discussions happen. Is that group? Um, so let us know what you guys think. Yeah, and uh, be sure and go check out our new network, the Podbelly Network. Um, Thank you to those guys for including us, and check out some of those other shows, great shows. Um, And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Sorry, there's uh, apparently there's something going on in my town because all the sirens in town just started going off all at once. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> something's <laughs> on fire. Somebody's going to jail. Something. <laughs> something's going on. <laughs> Man, I had a really good point to go along with that, and it just completely left me. I, I hate, hate that. that. <laughs>
I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll come maybe it'll come back to me in a minute. Anyway, 